welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the Gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the City of Lagos and beyond renewed by the Gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Sometimes, if you want to um, understand the, the way the Spirit works, the, especially in a meeting, Sometimes you know that the spirit of prophecy is around. Maybe in the preaching or someone gives a prophecy. But sometimes you gauge by the flow and the direction of the meeting. If you listen to all the songs that have been sung today, I have a strong sense of God has already gone ahead of us to address the issues that are in our heart. Amen. Think about, I know we sang that he's the God of promises. He's the God of covenants. The covenant of God and the promise of God is much more important than the constitution that binds you as a citizen to a nation. Whilst people may promise things that they they do believe they'll be able to deliver, or they are just saying it as marketing gimmicks, when God promises something and he speaks a word, it will come to pass. Amen? And he says that, take heart, he has overcome. Take heart, he has overcome. He's saying, don't surrender your heart to the whims and the caprices of things that cannot last. Take heart that the one who says that in the world you would have troubles, but take heart for I have overcome the world. You can bank on him. And so I, we would enter into this period now already understanding that God is with us, that he's with us in the spirit of prophecy. So Lord, We receive your presence. We receive the light and the guidance that your spirit brings. Lord, we pray that you would come among us, that you would strengthen us, that you would uplift us, but you will bind us and unite us both with you and with ourselves. Lord, not just come in this place. Come to this nation. We need you. For if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, then I will answer. I will heal, I would answer them, I will heal their land. Lord, heal our land, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, to which we all say, Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Now, if you're wondering why the, I mean, the obvious, there was no Bible reading, um, and why am I sitting down? It's because preaching is very hard, and my back is paining me. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Two sorries in a congregation of how many people? Wow. 
Uh, no, 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 it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. I'm sure some people are saying, nah, what's wrong with you? Is it that I can't play with you again? No. Actually, my back isn't hurting. Um, <laughs> but the stories were nice. They're actually nice. It was a good test to see how empathetic, how sympathetic you guys are. Um, I'm sitting because in many ways I don't want to preach today. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm sure in, in wonderful churches all around our nation, some people, uh, what they need is to be preached to. But I got, along with some of the staff um, earlier in the week, I got a, a, a good sense that we just, I just want to talk um, with you guys. I'm not quite sure what this is going to be. It's, it's sort of a talk. It's sort of a commentary. It will have sermonic aspects to it and all of that. But it's to really, you know, let's, we need the word from the Lord. We need instruction. We need guidance. And sometimes we don't need it in the exact same way we always get it. And so I'm going to talk to you about the number of things today that hopefully brings clarity direction as we move forward uh, together. Amen. You know, I've been pastoring for a number of years now. Um, and usually when people ask me a particular question, um, you know, sometimes there are questions that are asked to you that if you answer today, um, two days or three days after, you probably will answer with a different answer. You're like, ah, you know, what's my, who is my favorite child? You know, it depends on the day you ask me. Um, uh, so there are questions that you change your mind about. But there are some questions that when they ask you, whether you are asleep or you are awake, the same answer over and over and over again. For some of my pastor friends, when they ask the question, when was the most difficult period of your pastoring, they change their minds here and there. For me, it, there is no question. If you ask me, anytime, any day, sleeping or awake, I'll give you the same answer. It was the NSAS period. The NSAS period, by far has been the most difficult period for me as a pastor um, because I remember that period, some of us that were around or here, yeah, you, you remember how tense it was, the raw emotion. But the impact was the impact not just within the church, but within the global, within the national church, but also within the nation. The way I describe it is like... Um, it was a clash of so many different people's lives' narratives all coming together. It was like our lives' narratives were like a, 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 an accumulation of gunpowders. And then NSARS was where everything came together with a spark. Um, it, you saw the potential of the tearing apart of our nation because some people felt, and our churches, because some people already felt like they had been torn from within. And, you know, I remember in that period, there was a particular week, um, I remember I was speaking to people, I was preaching, I was counseling, I was recording videos, I was um, being interviewed, um, I was reading, um, you know, I was reading just to prepare, but I was also reading people's stories. It was, the, it was so intense. And I remember there was a tweet I put after the, the incident that broke everything happened. 
I remember saying, putting a tweet up and saying, huh, pastors, counselors, um, psychotherapists, psychiatrists, get prepared. You're about to earn your pay. And lo and behold, you know, true to that, the, the impact and the despondency in a lot of people's lives was palpable. I had an eerie feeling that we were going to have that same kind of thing this week again. And as much as possible, honestly, as some of you know, I just tot I totally stayed off social media. I, I, I consumed, well, not totally, I did, but not in the way I think a lot of people were. I remember after the result, after the voting, I, I knew at one point, first I knew when two states had been declared. And I didn't follow it until they told me that um, they had declared the winner. I was just totally out of it because I was like, I'm not going to go through this again. And I think the last series really just, it didn't just help. I mean, for some people that it helped, it helped, but it helped to instruct me. But at the same time, I have a responsibility to lead and to know that people are being affected by what's going on. And why I was also really scared was, you know, in Nigeria, we were served, we were saved in some ways. Because when you think about 2020, it wasn't just that we had tensions in Nigeria alone. There were tensions in other countries, particularly the United States. You had um, COVID, and it was more devastating there than almost anywhere in the world. But then you had racial tensions, significant. Remember the Black Lives Matter movement? And then you had the issues of masks wearing that somehow was weaponized. And so you had these political fissures that also entered into the church. And the church, and as I always say to some of my friends, I, will, I thank God that I'm pastoring Nigeria, not America. Many churches turn apart. Many families turn apart. People that we pray for here, when I speak to some of the pastors, it's been horrible. And I was saying, God, I hope this is not going to happen in this country as a result of this election. By God's grace, that will not happen. So, in that regard, I said, okay, let, 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 let's, let me address our church and let us, let us look for a, from a biblical perspective for guidance, for how we move forward, for how we think and respond. I want to put out a disclaimer here. I am not speaking for any party nor any candidate. City Church has no partisan position. Now, I voted. I will never tell you who I voted for, for the people I voted for. Uh, because if I do, you would think that my views are tainted by that. Um, but I still think that our gospel that we preach has political implications. Because I do believe that we all should be, as citizens of this nation, we should be involved in the political process. So forgive me, it's going to be a little bit of a ramble. I'm going to talk about four things in particular, but I'll conclude with one more thing, right? I want to, I've just put them in this way. I've said the, um, the theology, the dangerous church unity, national unity. The theology, the dangerous church unity, and national unity. I want to appeal to everyone once again. Please, please, please. First of all, listen to the end before you make any conclusions. All right, listen to the end because somebody will say, uh -huh. I knew he was lean. I knew he leaned like this. And some of you may, if, I, if it seems like I'm going at some people, 
and maybe I'm going at you, you will not hear by the time it seems like I'm going on some other people. I'm not holding brief for anyone, all right? Whose side do I belong on? As Moses said, I belong to on the Lord's side. Amen. All right, so now let's talk the first thing. Now, the theology. Why am I starting with theology? Theology is not something people like to hear. But as someone once said, everybody is a theologian. Everybody. If I ask you now, do you believe in God? Some of you will say yes. Some of you will say no. You have just done theology. To believe whether there is a God or not, you have done theology. Then if I say, how many gods do you believe in? If you say one God, multiple gods, you are doing theology. If I say, which God, the God of which religion? Well, I say Christianity, no, it is Islam. No, it's a mixture of the two. You are, you've already decided theologically. Now, the question is, how deep do you want to go with theology? Here's what I should say. I want to say, you should go as deep as it concerns the important aspects of your life. And so we have to think theologically about the issue that is going on in our nation. Why? Because it matters to all of us. How do we think about it? The second thing is the reason why we have to think theologically is it provides a framework, an intentional framework for us to be able to judge. The problem is too many people are reacting not based on any kind of intentional framework, but just based on how they feel. The raw emotions. And whilst our emotions are a good gauge, they are never a good guide. They tell us how we are feeling, but they, don't, they shouldn't tell you how you should go. And so God, as people of God that believe that God has spoken, God has said, okay, here is the revelation of how I am acting in the world from the beginning of the world to the end. Take that upon you and then use that to judge the things that are happening. Am I speaking to someone? So let's do a little bit of theology here. Let me start with this. Most of us judge the value of a thing. You know how we judge the value of a thing? By its lasting um, endurance or by its enduring ability. We judge the worth of a thing by its lasting value. Think about electronics, right? This is why all of us would say that an Apple phone is better than Samsung. Some, some people are not agreeing. Okay. Some of us will say something like, fruitcake is better than any other cake. Lasting value. We do even think about clothes. Velvet is better than Akoche. Amen. And all the Akoche people said, amen. Panasonic is better than Polystar. I am not throwing shades at people. See, one, if you have polystyrene in your bedroom, don't worry. God is taking you to higher heights. You will go to Panasonic. Say amen. <laughs> you know, those people will say, no, there's no difference between them. You can't afford it. Yes, yeah. When you can't, then you know ah, there's a big difference. We judge the value or the worth of everything based on its enduring ability. If it doesn't exist again, if it existed for a particular amount of time, if something existed for two, three years, and then another one exists for 20 years, and then the same category, you say the one of 20 years is better. Can I ask you a question? Let's think about nations. Where are the Babylonians today? 
Where are the Cretans? Where are the Assyrians? Where are the Hittites? Have you heard of these nations before? Where are the Prussians? Where are the Ottomans? Where are they? They're all locked in the annals of history. They don't exist today. Now, when you see some of those names, like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, eh, you know, I'm sure they were relevant, but not as relevant as we Nigerians. How long has Nigeria existed as a nation? Independence, 63 years this year. Amalgamation, maybe about 109 years. The Ottoman Empire lasted for 623 years, and it's no longer here today. Even thinking about political parties, where is AG? Where is NCP? Where is NCN, NCNC? Where is UPN? Where is NPN? Where is NRC? Where is SDP? Where is AD? Where is ACN? Where is CPC? Where do you think PDP is going? The same way. It's the same way APC will go. It's the same way the Labour Party will go. History tells us that. How worthy or of what worth are these things? They do have worth. But the lasting value? Where is the Roman Empire? Where is the British Empire? The empire under which that there was no place that the, the sun never set on the British Empire. Where is it today? You know what, Satan, we were talking about Jesus in the wilderness. One of the temptations Satan pushed before Jesus is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. You know what he said? Put it up. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And then in verse 9, he says that if you bow to me, I will give it to you. In one regard, he was right because... God gave the kingdom to human beings. He gave it to Adam and Eve, right? To have dominion and to rule. But once Adam and Eve fell to Satan's temptation, they ceded that authority to him. And so Satan had a way of ruling over the nations. He was called the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. So when he's looking at all the kingdoms, he's telling Jesus, they belong to me. Bow like Adam and Eve did, and I will give it to you. He has a way of ruling over the kingdoms of this world. Now, here is the theological bit. Because Jesus Christ has come, because Jesus died and Jesus rose again and Jesus is ascended into heaven, Revelation 11.15 is true. He did not bow to Satan because there is a time that this will be proclaimed. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said what? Let's say it together. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign what? And ever and ever. Where is the Prussians? Where are the Romans? Where is even Nigeria going to be? In the eternity, there will be nowhere. Why? Because there is only one kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. Start your theology from that place. APC matters. PDP matters. Labour Party matters. NNP, they all matter. Nigeria matters. Cameroon matters. Senegal matters. US matters. But eventually, they will not last forever. 
Put your hope in what lasts forever. Start your theology that way. Amen. Now, this kingdom here has already started. It's not that we are waiting for it. It has already started. But the kingdom of man or the kingdom of Satan is also still here. And so what we have, theologically, is an overlapping of two kingdoms. Somebody say an overlapping of two kingdoms. In his death and his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus inaugurated this kingdom. But there is also the kingdom of man. And you, who is a Christian, you are living in both kingdoms. That's why the series that Dami keeps referring to, I would also tell you, go and listen to it. The sermon two there was a message called dual citizens. Dual citizens. We are members of this world, of this, the kingdom of this world, but we are also members of the kingdom of Christ. But here is the thing. They will not overlap forever. The kingdom of man and kingdom of Satan is actually vanishing and it will disappear. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ has been established. It is growing and it will consume the whole earth. For the knowledge of the glory of God shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So in the new creation, when God fully establishes his kingdom, there will only be one kingdom. There will only be, listen, there will be no evil people. There will be no Ibibio people. There will be no Bini people. There will be no Hausa Fulani. There will only be one people of God. And so the people that are in the kingdom now, look to your right, look to your left. If you see a brother and a sister or a brother, don't look at them first from their ethnicity. The Bible says, no man no more after the flesh. Look at them first and foremost by their eternal status. What Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18 is this, we fix our eyes on what, or not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Why? Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is, temp or is what? Eternal. So what you can see by the names of somebody is that this person is Yoruba, this person is Hausa, what you can see if you looked at the voting pattern is that this person voted and likes this party. But it says, don't first interpret things only from what you can see because what you can see is temporary. What you cannot see is eternal. Amen. Guys, this is the most important thing I can tell you. What citizenship is more important for you? Your citizenship of Nigeria or your citizenship is from heaven. Now, let me just tell you, it's easy. It should be from heaven. Why? Because that is the kingdom that will last forever. So that when you now want to approach what has happened, then we have to think from that mindset. Think theologically. Now, I want to talk about three other things. I haven't said this framework. But I must all tell you that this framework that I just said for me, it limits me in a positive way. I don't have to talk about every single thing, but I have a lens through which I can speak about certain things. But I also want to say that in terms of what I can talk about, I'm limited because I am not a lawyer. I'm married to one. I'm not a politician. I'm not a political commentator. I'm a pastor. I'm the pastor of City Church but I'm also a Nigerian. So I want to talk about certain things that are happening 
in our world from the perspective of being a pastor, being in Nigeria, but also being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, some of it will just come as commentary, but I beg you to listen well. Eventually, we'll go into some scriptures, but I want to touch on these three things. First, what are the dangers that are going around? And there are four dangers I want you to avoid like a plague. First one, let's talk about what I'll call political or national idolatry. Political or national idolatry. Remember how we started. This happens when you place more value in politics, something that is very important. But when you place more value in politics than the important role that it plays. When you place more value in politics than the important role that politics plays. Let me tell you about someone in the Bible, a very, very strange guy. He was what you call a political advisor, but he was a political advisor to kings like none other. His name was Ahitophel. You see, whenever people wanted to inquire of the Lord, they often would go to the prophet to hear the word of the Lord. Or they would go to the high priest and he would speak from what they call the Urim and the Tumim, some kind of oracle. But nowhere else is it said in the whole entire Bible that somebody's advice, his wisdom, was like inquiring from the Lord, except of Ahitophel. In 2 Corinthians 16, verse 23, it says that to, in, to, to, in, um, to, um, uh, to listen to the advice of Ahitophel was as though you were inquiring of the Lord. How do you think that made Ahitophel feel? Very important. Ahitophel was very close to political power. Now, sometimes the thing with power is that you have it, and other times you lose it. It should not be a problem. It was a big problem for Ahitophel. Because at some point, his services were no longer needed. And when they told him, in fact, it was just that one of his advice was not taken. When he was told that, you know what happened to Corinthians, 2 Kings 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 23. Just because of this, he says, when Ahitophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he set out for his house in his hometown. He put his house in order and then what? Hanged himself. So he died. Guys, are there people that lost for power? They would do anything to gain power. It is true. But the measure of your loss for power is not only measured by how you seek power, but how you react when you lose power or you never gain the power. You see, part of the challenge, when I remember doing NSAS, I was a bit concerned because I was trying to, on one hand, you see the the strength of the zeal of many people in the moment, but you could also see unrealistic zeal. That is, people thinking, in this moment, we'll solve all the problems, and we're looking for something to invest it in. And so we invested it in this movement. And we thought we could topple things, do all of that. And I was like, man, guys, the energy that you have is good. But the way you are going about this thing, there's a problem here. Because you are looking to this movement to do something that this movement cannot do. And many times also, and sometimes in this political season, we have looked to people 
to do what they cannot do. So whether it's people, whether it's the system, or whether it's other things, what happens when you invest so much in their messianic fervor in them to do what they cannot do? You know what happens? Eventually, when they don't do what they cannot do, or you don't gain that power, what happens? You are left in utter despair. That's the problem. The hope you clamor for is important. How you direct that hope is also important. Beware of political idolatry. I'm sure there are some of us here that would say, I am angry with God. Why? Because the political result that you sought for did not come to pass. Or the way, you know, um, the things went about, you weren't happy. You said, but we prayed, we did all of those things. And so you say you're angry with God. Now, let me first say this. I thank God that I belong to a religion where the God of that religion is big enough for you to be angry with. God is not insecure. Read the Psalms. There are many people that are angry with God. Moses was angry with God. There are plenty of people that are angry with God. God is big enough for your anger. So express it. But I also want to say, let us also examine, are you big enough for the critique of God? This particular political moment did not yield what you wanted. And you're angry with God because of that. In the last one year, one year plus, there has been a devastating war that has been going on in the eastern part of Europe. Countless number of lives gone. Churches burned down. People, families destroyed. A couple of weeks ago, there was a devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria. How many people have, have, have we counted now dead there? What? Close to, I think, I love 50,000, 60, tens of thousands of people. Can I say this as nicely as I can? You were not angry with God at those moments. But now, because of politics, you are angry with God? Could it be that that anger is revealing that you've placed way too much hope in politics than you should? Listen, we've always had a problem, a philosophical problem. How is it that there is a, an all-powerful God, an all-good God, that allows bad things to happen to people that don't deserve it? And there are many fantastic ways of answering that. I'm not getting into that. I'm saying that already exists. What we often don't put is how is it that a just God allows good things to happen to people that don't deserve it? We don't balance it with that. My point here is temper first. Temper. As Black Badger said, Kulu temper. It is not that your feelings, that they are not legitimate. They are legitimate. They are what? Legitimate. But don't let the fire, the intensity of the fire that was meant to cook rice in a pot, don't let it turn to the fire that consumes an entire house. That's what idolatry leads you into. So first thing, beware of political idolatry. Psalm 146 verse 3 warns us. It says, do not put your trust in 
princes, in human beings. Why? They cannot save. And sometimes when we look at people, when we look at parties, when we look at processes, and we believe that they can save, we don't say it, we will always end up being disappointed. Amen. Second thing to consider under the dangers, tension and violence. You know, one of the things that, I, again, I didn't try to do too much media, but I was specific on some. I listened to the, I listened because I went to hear something, to the addresses of the two leading candidates that did not win. That is the, the Labour Party candidate, and I'm talking about of the presidential elections, of Labour Party candidate and the PDP candidate. And one of the things that gladdened my heart was I saw leadership from both of them. Why? They were intentional in saying, let us be calm. They have their belief that they won, but they said, let us be calm. They both asked for no violence. They both asked for no tension. There was nothing in their speeches that was trying to whip up people. They showed leadership. They are spokespersons. That's another thing. And I want to say, if you really believed in those people, follow what they said. But they both said, this thing that we feel like grieved about, we are going to court. Now, when they say they are going to court, I want you to understand some things that are implied there. That means they believe in institutions, number one. Number two, if they believe in institutions, that's the institution of the court, they also believe in other institutions like, for instance, there is only one body, institutional body, that can declare the winner of an election. You may not like it. We may say it is flawed, but these people are understanding. They would not go to court if that body had not declared that there was a winner. They recognize the place of institutions. So we Christians, because as Christians, listen, we need to be law-abiding. We Christians should also behave in the same manner. I've seen where some people are saying stuff like, my president is this person. You can't say that. You can feel it, but you can't say it. Because let me tell you, you are allowed to participate in the voting process, but no single individual is allowed to, de to determine who their president is going to be. You can say, my president, but your president, it may be your president, but it is not in Asso Rock. It's not your president. And when we say things like that, we are just, we are allowing our, our heightened emotions to, to lead us astray. None of them have come to say, I am the president. So I'm saying, follow those people. See, 1 Peter 2, verse 13 to 17, Peter addresses this, how we should live in a society. Because it's not just, he's not just telling you why, uh, he's not just telling you how you should do it, he's also telling you why you should do it. He said, submit yourselves for party's sake, for government's sake, for the highest government's sake. Submit yourself to, for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Whether to the emperor, and the emperor was talking about them, was a madman. 
as the supreme authority, but he's saying they're not only, uh, the, the emperor is not the only authority. There are other authorities under all two governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. 15. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. He's saying that there are people that are going to say that you Christians are not law-abiding. And he's saying that a defense against those people is the way you behave as law-abiding citizens. He said, live as free people, but do not use your freedom. That is, we are free in Christ, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Are you hearing that? When you speak about your governor, even if you don't like the governor, do you speak with respect? When you speak about your president, when you speak about people in highest authority, you say, but they don't deserve the respect. The office deserves the respect. Now, it is not... By saying respect, Peter is not saying here that this emperor is a wonderful person. He's not foolish. But he's saying that, listen guys, whilst other people who are only citizens of the kingdom of man, who have put their entire hope in the kingdom of man, and they've seen that hope crushed and dashed, whilst they go astray, you belong to another kingdom, and so you are still able to comport yourself in the kingdom of man. Why? Because this is not where you find your entire hope. Is this clear? Guys, we are ambassadors of Christ. Let us watch the way we behave. Somebody say, well, the court, I don't have faith in the court. What is the alternative? Anarchy? Every man to be a law to themselves? You, more than anyone should know it, who has read the book of Judges. In those times, they had no king. And everyone did as they pleased. Is that what we want? Now, we say we want justice. Yes, the court is the only place that we get justice. You say, well, I don't have faith in them. Well, I want to tell you about one guy who, who once ran. He won. Then a lower court said he didn't win. And so he was taken out of office. Oh, no, sorry. He, didn't, he won. And then he won, but they declared somebody else winner. And then he went to court. And the court gave him the power. And then it was contested. And the power was taken from him. And then he contested again. And he then ruled as governor. Do you know who that man is? He's the man that is going to court. One of the people going to court again. I'm saying it's not a perfect system. It's the only system we have. Let us not be the kind of people that stoke up the kind of tension that we should be coming down. I am not saying you don't have grievances. I am saying look at the people that are leading, that have those grievances. Where are they going? They are being responsible. We should also act responsibly. So can I ask everyone here, don't participate in inflammatory rhetoric. Watch and curb your emotions. Don't say things that represent a form of illegality. Nobody will arrest you, but arrest your mouth. Third thing about the dangers. And this I'm really concerned about. And I'm happy um, who prayed today. Munisola prayed for me. I'm really concerned about voter apathy. 
voter apathy. I'll come to later, I'll come to because it seems like I'm bashing some people now. That's why I said wait till the end. But for those who are disappointed with the result, I can understand your frustration. For some of us, it, was, it wasn't even just the result. It was our ability to vote. And I'll come to that later. But can I say this? We live in a federal republic. I know some of us don't really know what that means. We've never cared. But to be a member of a federal republic means you don't only care for what happens at the center, the federal level. That is what happens, the people you vote for that are in Abuja. To be part of a full democratic process, to participate, means that you have to care about what happens at the state level and at the local government level. That's what it means to be a citizen. And sometimes, you know the danger, and why again, I get concerned. I remember looking at some candidates, I say, oh my God, if this man enters office or if this one, can he, 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 he's in a lose-lose situation. Because sometimes we don't understand the process. We believe that a president can do and everything. Guys, we don't vote for an emperor. It's a devolved kind of process, a, a, a government. So we have state governors, we have state representatives. You should care about that. And so what I'm saying is, don't say I have participated in the process, I don't care. No, you've not fully participated in the process if you don't go out to vote for your governors and the state and local level. The presidency and the federal uh, 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 representatives cannot do everything. Now somebody will say, well, but these people are the ones controlling the system. All these bad actors are controlling the system. Let me say, I, let's say I agree with you. And again, I'll tell you what I think about the flaws of the system. But let's say there are people that actually rigged the system, people that have, you know, not allowed your votes to count and all of those things. You are not satisfied. The end goal of those kinds of people is not, first and foremost, to stop your vote from counting. Do you know what their end goal is? Is to stop you from participating in the process altogether. If you decide not to go and vote because you are disappointed in the result of last week, they have got you exactly what they wanted. Don't give them that. Show them a tenacity that says, you guys can try everything you want. I will not stop to be a good citizen. How many of us remember there was a lady, I can't remember her name, she has been shown as the hero of last week, and she really is. Thugs came, she was, she was, um, um, she had injuries all over her face. She went, bandaged it, what did she do? You will not stop me from voting. I hope they will not stop you from voting. Don't give them that power over you. Listen, we have, you have a right to be cynical though. You have a right to be cynical. You don't have a luxury to be cynical in this nation. We all need each other. You don't have it. can't afford it. But let me also say something again. I have never been more encouraged in the political system of our nation since I have been able to participate, since I've been able to observe in 1999. I have never been more encouraged than this time. The emergence of a third force, I told somebody yesterday and I told some other people during the week, the emergence of the third force in this democratic process has literally saved democracy in Nigeria. Literally. Because if you look across the pond in the US, you look in the UK and all that, a two-party system always has one, way one um, 
um, trajectory. It becomes one party that has two expressions. And that is why people what? Flip-flop. They all just become like one another. So what eventually happens is they are so entrenched, they understand the system, they know that the voters don't count, they understand how to win. Look, the thing that counts the most in two-party systems that have been there for a round is not the election, it is the primaries. It is the primaries. It's decided. One or two people can say, you, you will be the governor. And it's done. Why? Because they know the people don't care. The people, well, when it's election day, they just say, well, there may be a lie on our side, all of that. Voter apathy, voter apathy has been the key to keeping them. What you had with this election is, yes, one other person came that many people were zealous about. Do you know what happened? Because that one other person came, the other two knew that it cannot be business as usual. The, listen, Things have changed forever if we continue to be energized in this way. Because now, at the next couple of elections, just even this state election now, just even the state election, people, because some people, listen, you know, it wasn't, okay, some people lost presidency. At the federal, at the Senate, and at the House of Representatives, there were people that we never thought would ever win. So now, all the people at state elections say, this is what I would do, this is what I would do. Can you see... If we focus on gradualism, not trying to... Put up Matthew 13 for me. Let us be wise, guys, because sometimes the problem is we look for things to happen in the timing that they cannot happen. Muhammad Ali knew that he could never knock out George Foreman with one punch. 1974, uh, the rumble in the jungle. If you've never heard about it, go and research how can you not have heard the rumble in the jungle? George Foreman was a boxer of, he was a crazy boxer. He, he had more round one knockouts than anybody in history. If you entered the, whatever with George Foreman, he knocked you out straight. 50 seconds. He, George Foreman was Mike Tyson before Mike Tyson. And so Ali was now older. And he now was trying to fight George Foreman. And he made noise, I'm going to do this, going to do that. But Ali knew. I cannot knock George Foreman out with one punch. So you know what Ali did? He devised a strategy. It was called rope-a-dope. He went to the ropes, he covered his face, and allowed, he trained his body to be able to withstand Foreman's punches. So he would go to the rope, he would be, you know, doing that, he would be telling, he would be abusing him, doing all of those things. Continued, round one, giving him punches. Two, three, giving him punches. Four, five, six. What Foreman did not know is that we are in a jungle. We are in the tropics. And Ali knew that if he continued to try to hit him like this over and over for seven, eight, nine rounds, eventually he would tire. I think it was around 11, round 11, Ali now knew Foreman was so tired. At the end of the round, he just told him, now is my turn. And then he turned things around and that's how we knocked him out. Too many, the, you see, the foolishness I didn't, I, okay. The naivety of youth, the naivety of youth is things that changes, changes are meant to come in an instant, whereas they are meant to come gradually. So now, some of you have already got the current system on the ropes. They are getting tired. But what happens? You now say, oh my, I don't want to fight again. 
Take an example from how the kingdom of God is going to come. Jesus says this. He says he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. 32. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it, it starts at the smallest of seeds. It, then when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Please, don't take what I'm going to say. I'm not endorsing, I'm not whatever name, but I'm talking just strategically. The current president of Nigeria, he lost how many, how many uh, elections? He came in 2003, he came in 2007, he came in 2011. And people are thinking, why doesn't this man just go? He was building his base. He didn't lose the same way in 2007 as he lost in 2003. He didn't lose the same way in 2011 as he lost in 2003. So at some point, people knew if we want to win, we need to merge with this guy. He thought long term. But sometimes, idolatry pushes us to say, it's going to happen now, it must happen now. And when it doesn't happen now, ah, how many of you have boiled rice, put rice inside the water and just, oh yeah, rice? Don't you put fire and wait for 30 minutes? It grows. So don't be cynical about what has happened. Things have changed and have changed for the better. Now, if you believe in the process and you think that this is the way to go, build on that progress. Build on that progress. Don't just catch up. I had small privilege of speaking once to one political candidate and I told him, I said, you may not win. If you don't win, I want you to win. But if you don't win, I say, don't be here for the short term. Come back. Build. And that's how we have to think. Final thing I want to talk about under the dangers. It's about prophets and prophecy. It's amazing the emergence of many prophets in this season. You know, the election, election, election period is like, is like, is like, it's like the womb of the prophets. All over. I'm telling you, like this one said, just check my YouTube feed. They're just sending, pastor, this, prophet, this, the word for 2023, for the election and all that. They are everywhere. Now, let me say this very categorically. I believe in prophecy. And I believe in prophets. And I will continue to believe in prophets and prophecy. Why? Because the Bible teaches about prophecy and the Bible teaches about prophets. I will always, you can't get me. I've seen prophecy fulfilled in my life. I've given prophecy to people that have been fulfilled. You cannot shake me away from prophecy. I have seen it in the Bible and I've experienced it. But it is because the Bible that tells me about prophecy and tells me to believe in it, because that Bible tells me that, that same Bible tells me I must test all prophecies. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Listen to what it says. Don't quench the spirit. So if you are seeing bad prophets around, don't quench the fact that God still speaks. But verse 20 then says, do not treat prophecies with, there's a tendency to, 21, but it says, but test them all, hold on to what is, and then verse 22, reject every kind of evil. So there are evils that come through prophecies. Some prophecies are untrue, 
Some prophecies are wait timing to know if they are true. And some prophecies are just irresponsible for being put out there. It's true. I've seen some, I'm like, this is irresponsible. A man of God once said, if you have true, a true relationship with God and you operate in a prophet, prophetic, he said, there's such a thing as having holy secrets. He said, me and my wife, there are many things we do in public, so many things, but part of why my wife and I have an intimate relationship is that we have secrets you don't know about. How can you have it? everything that God tells you you have to say out and you're not weighing whether to say them? So that's what I mean by some persons are irresponsible for putting out there. Now, not to miss out on the party, I also gave a prophetic direction, didn't I? Uh, everybody, uh, this, they said that one is a prophet. Hey, me too, I'd be prophet now. What's going on? But mine was more like a prophetic direction of how to pray. And I stand by it because I think from what I've seen in the last election, all around, that actually it was being fulfilled. And what we said was that in this election, God was going to raise up Joash's and Nebuchadnezzar's. But that God was going to do his will through them. Who are Joash's? Give me 2 Kings 11, um, 3 and 12. Very simple. Joash he came in a setting where there was a, a, um, um, a, a, a queen who annihilated uh, her, 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 her son died, who was the king, and so she annihilated the entire royal family so that she could be queen. But somebody hid Joash. And so it says he remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Ataliah ruled, verse 12. And then it says that um, Jehoiada brought out the king's son and put the crown on him. Notice, he was hidden, and the next thing that happened was the crown was put on him. He presented him with a copy of covenant and proclaimed the king. And I remember when that prophecy went, so people were like, amen! I was like, God, is that? I'm not saying anything. They were like, they already had visions of who? They saw there. But we said there would be Nebuchadnezzar as well. And what did that mean? Daniel chapter 2, verse 47 to 49. Daniel 2, 47 to 49. The king said to Daniel, the king, wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, wicked man, very wicked man. But he said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. This is when Daniel interpreted his dream. But first gave the revelation of the dream. See how wicked Nebuchadnezzar was. He didn't just ask for the interpretation of the dream. He asked for the dream itself. He said, if you know the dream, then I'll know that the interpretation is right. And then when some people said it can't be done, he said it can't be done, I will kill all of you. So, but Daniel actually made the test. And then he said, he's the Lord, um, he, and the Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Continue. Then the king placed Daniel in a... Then the king placed Daniel in a what? So we are saying that if you think there are wicked people that will come to power, let, they will come to power, but they will take the people of God and put them in high positions. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all these wise men. And it wasn't just that Daniel was promoted. You know what happened? Because Daniel was promoted, verse 49. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon. Guys, don't despair. Let us pray in line. Well, now, you have to test this because you must test every prophecy. 
But if you believe this is true, here's what I'm saying. As far as I'm concerned now, as long as uh, the courts um, um, uh, don't do anything, there's been declared winner. I've set my mind. The person that is going to be elected, I've started praying for him. I've started praying for him. I've started praying for him. All these different representatives, um, I've started praying for them. And the ones me I think are wicked, this is what's going to happen. The ones I don't think are, are, are wicked, they will do the Lord's will. That's what we should be doing as people that know that the most high rules in the affairs of men. So, um, as I said, you can judge that prophetic direction, but I want to say this. It's your job to weigh all these other prophecies. Um, I have heard out there, in my estimation, some prophecies I don't think are the best. Some people are promising hope where there is little hope. Some people are predicting disaster in a way that may be akin to stirring up conflict, even though they, won't, they are not intentionally trying to do it. And there are those that are further, with their prophecies, further entrenching the political idolatry I spoke about. I, as a pastor of this church, I will say, I want to warn you, be careful. Wait, but be careful. The reason why I say all of this is, part of the, the problem I've seen with the prophetic movement in Nigeria and Africa at large is, prophecy is not subsumed under something that it was meant to be subsumed under, which is sound theology. So prophets are running among their hearing, but their hearing is not interpreted well because theology, sound theology, is meant to help you sift out what is good and what is bad. Let me give you one quick example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse, um, verse 30, uh, 36 to 38, see what happened. There are some people saying some th- stuff in the, in the church in Corinth. And Paul was telling, how far now? You guys, this thing doesn't make sense. He says, so. Oh, or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached because they, were, they had revelations? If anyone thinks they are a, or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. That's verse 37. Paul has been teaching since 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1. He has been giving apostolic teaching. So he's saying whatever prophecy that you have must be subjected to what? Apostolic teaching. Verse 38. And he says, but if anyone ignores that what I have taught is the Lord's command, they themselves will be ignored. So notice, before I said, I brought this prophecy again, um, what I first did was to set a theological framework for how we can then interpret whether things are right or wrong. Guys, be careful. Test all prophecies. Amen. All right, so those are the dangers. Let me quickly talk about church unity. If you want to know more about this, the fourth sermon in that series is called Divided in Politics, United in Christ. The church of, Christ, of God in Rome in Paul's time was a good church, but it had significant problems. They were dividing over their ethnic issues, and their ethnic issues was giving rise to many other things. Paul had a strategy. Paul had preached most of his missionary journeys in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. So now Paul wanted to take his mission to the western part of the the Roman Empire. He wanted to go to Spain. So his idea was, for me to do that, I would need the support of the few churches that are already in the west, none more important than the church in Rome. But he knew this, 
A divided church cannot in one, um, 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 in one heart give to the mission of Paul. So Paul's theology that he writes, because a lot of us go to Romans just to get theology. The theology was serving a purpose. It was to show them that they should be united in Christ and therefore united with each other. And if that happened, they would be able to support him. Do you understand that? So he, he addresses a number of theological issues. But there were also some, um, what you call them, like kitchen table issues. In Romans 14 verse 1, he calls them, he says, there are things that we call disputable matter, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over what? Disputable matters. Now, these disputable matters had to do with what you ate and veneration of days. They were secondary theological issues. In this context, Paul still advocated for unity, despite the fact that there were secondary, theological, important issues. These issues were important to, are you following me? But he still advocated for unity. What does that mean for us? In this church, for the presidential election, in this church, I know people that voted for the Labour Party. They told me. In this church, I know people that voted for PDP. They told me. In this church, I know people that voted for APC. They told me. In this church, I don't know anybody that voted for NNPP. But that's, not, that's neither here nor there. Now, what am I saying? That shows that we're already divided. And the thing we are divided on is a non-theological issue. If Paul can say we should be united despite having differences in secondary theological issues, should we be divided when we have differences in non-theological issues? Does that mean those issues are not important? Uh, wait. Does that mean those issues are not important? You know why Paul advocated for unity? Because there are times when Paul says, don't allow this kind of thing to happen in this place. A man is sleeping with his, father, his mother's wife. Paul didn't say, well, some of you think it's right. Some of you don't think it's right. You know, who are we? Let us all ask. He said, send that guy out. So why is it on this one, Paul is saying they should stay? Because these things are important. Oh, these things were important. Paul understood something. In Romans 14, verse 2, he understood something. He said, Poof, wow, who sent you this uh, fly? Fall down and die. You don't know, uh, enemies are everywhere, or you have to. It says, Paul says, one person's faith, one person's faith. So in other words, he's already saying that all of them have genuine faith. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats veg only vegetables. One person's faith allows them to eat anything. One person's faith allows them to eat only vegetables. One person's faith allows them to vote Labour Party. One person's faith allows them to vote PDP. One person's faith allows them to vote APC. Because you don't understand the reason why they, even though they have the same faith, Paul understood that there are many issues that, whether it is in their background, whether it is their age, whether it is in their experiences, there are many issues, despite having that same faith, that enables them to all come to different conclusions on those matters. And Paul understands because of the complexity of those issues, you should not divide over this. 
I was thinking about some of the reasons why we vote. Listen, don't think, you see, the problem is that sometimes when we talk to each other, we're like, how can this person vote for that person? It, because we don't all vote, we don't all vote for the same people because we don't all vote um, using the same metrics. So I was thinking about how people vote. Let me give you, it's not exhaustive. I wrote down 12 reasons how people vote. 12. Some vote, hey, one, some vote for party. That is, he's our party's candidate. Okay, let me rush through all of them. Some vote for party. Some vote for personality. Some vote for ethnicity. Some vote for morality. Some vote for strategy. Some vote for policy. Some vote to be beneficiaries. <laughs> some vote for bribery. Some vote for property. Some vote due to apathy. Some vote for destiny. Some vote under authority. So, party. Ah, or loyalty. He is our party's candidate. I don't even... I, some people... Some people didn't know who was running for House of Rep and didn't know Senate. But they knew the party that they want to just went and put. It's the party. Some people voted for personality. I like, I like him. I don't like him. Why don't you vote? I don't like him. But that doesn't make sense. It's, it's my right. <laughs> Ethnicity is my brother. In the, in the famous words of one of our our greatest heroes in Nigeria, um, Alhaji Asari Dokubo, he said, he said, he said, good luck now my person, I no go live around. I no go live around. He said, no, no, no how, where monk, uh, uh, monkey war war, in mama no go live around. He's my brother. That's a brother. I said, I'm voting for Tinubu, he's my brother. So I said, I'm voting for Atiku, he's my brother. <laughs> Some vote for morality. They say, that guy is a thief. He owns the whole of Nigeria. Some will say, ah, that one is a cent. He left a lot of money in the bank. It's morality. Some vote for strategy. I don't want that person to go to power, so I'm going to vote for this other person. To steal votes. And I think that actually this, this presidential election was actually a victory in strategy, but that's my personal opinion. Some vote for policy. I like what he says he will do. Some vote to be beneficiaries. Or more, if this guy enters, contract is sure. <laughs> Some vote for bribery. I belong to the highest bidder. Some vote for prophecy. God has spoken. He's the man. <laughs> Some vote due to apathy. I am tired of this government. Some... Okay. <laughs> Some vote for destiny. Some vote for destiny. They say, Naingo win. And I like to be on the winning side. Some vote under authority. They said we should vote for him. Now, the point here is not which one is right. Some people take that. Some people even take combinations. Some people use a particular one in one election and they use another one in another one. The issue here is not which one is right. The issue here is a matter of fact. So sometimes you are using one or two lenses and other persons are not using one or two lenses. And therefore, it is possible that one person's faith enables them to vote in this way and another person's faith enables them to vote in that way. The point is this. Don't divide over these issues. In Romans 14 verse 5, this is what Paul says. Romans 14 verse 5. One person considers one day, I'm going to change it, one person considers one party more sacred than another. One considers every, uh, another party like every day, well, okay, it's not working. 
One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully what? He gives them liberty. Now, in this regard, this is what I will never endorse. I have said, let us not divide in Christ. But I will never endorse. That means we keep quiet. No. I Listen, you should try to persuade people about your view and your candidate. You should. So when he says that everyone should be fully convinced, he's not saying take one position and never change. He's saying that, in fact, you should be open-minded to being convinced otherwise, but it is that you should be convinced. Are you following? So don't take this attitude of, and hey, that's my vote. You can't get me to change my vote. No. Tell why and listen to the other person. There are a few people that are engaged. I mean, there are only a few people that know about who I voted for because I can't, you know, like my parents are here. We had good sparring. And I don't know whether we were able to convince each other. Right? So, it's open. But I also want to put one warning because of this background I've put. Please. It's a warning, but it's a plea. It's a plea. It's a strong plea. This is not an issue for which to question someone's salvation. And I'm saying this, it's a, it's a warning, but it's a plea. You know why? Using political position, someone's political position, as a measure of someone's salvation, do you know what it's called? It's called heresy. It's called heresy. Somebody is not a Christian or will not be with you in eternity because they voted for a political party. And you can't say, if you are a Christian, you could never vote for that person. I have shown you why people vote. It, it may be weak. Paul said someone's faith is weak. In other words, Paul had an opinion on that thing. But don't question someone. It is a dangerous thing. Give me Romans 14 verse 3. We're just in that Romans 14, 1 to 5. Give me Romans 14, 1 to 3. Listen to what it says. It says, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. In other words, we mustn't, we mustn't look down on people. Some of you may say, eh, it's stomach infrastructure that is driving those people. I saw that on Twitter during the kidney. I just used to look at the way people look down on people. They say, eh, this one said he's my brother. That is the person, you don't, you don't know what the person has suffered from other ethnicities. But because you, consider, you, you, you vote by policy, the, you know the funny thing? If I did a poll and say, how, how do you vote? 90% of us will say by policy. But the truth is that 90% of us have not read any manifesto. <laughs> but it's policy. We don't. That policy thing is just, it's just a way to make us feel good that we're enlightened. You know one or two policies, but that's it. So you look down. And so in church, we will now be looking down on people because they have this particular vote. He says, don't look down on people like that. But then to the other people, he then says... And the one who does not eat everything, the one who feels they are holy, the one who feels that their choice is so righteous, he says the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has what? In other words, when God was designing the means of salvation, did he consult you? So when God, if he didn't consult you, and yet he did it, and you believe in it, do you think that God is going to consult you on who he's going to save? God is going to accept them. He said, God accepted them. It's not, your, it's not by po political um, this nonsense. Verse 4. And so this is where the warning is. 
Who are you to judge someone else's what? Servant. Guys, it's not me. It's the Bible. It's a severe warning. He said, to their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. Whenever you question someone's salvation, and I'm not trying to condemn you, but I know people do it. When they say a Christian can never vote for this, do you know what you are doing? You are questioning God's own acceptance of a person. I don't want to be in that position. None of you should be in that position. It's God's choice as to who he accepts. And who he accepts, he tells you to also accept them. Romans 15 verse 7. He says, accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Why? Because if we don't do that, we stand the risk of what he then warns in Romans 14, verse 19 to 20. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Why? There is a, an alternative. You will destroy the work of God for the sake of politics. Do you want to do that? Put up those two pictures. Let me tell you about two people. This is an amazing um, thing. These two people. Um, um, they'll put that picture up now, but is it up? Okay. Can you see? Right? The guy on my right is a guy called um, Tim Farrell. The lady on the left is Kate Forbes. Who are they? They are both British politicians. Tim Farron was once the leader of uh, what used to be third force um, in, in British politics called the, the Liberal Democrats. So he's a liberal Democrat, right? Whereas Kate, Katie belongs to a party called the Sc Scottish National Party, right? And they are social Democrats. Now, the difference between liberal Democrats and social Democrats, they want to achieve the same goal, but they are starting from different points. So liberal, the liberal is focusing more on the individual rights of the people as a means to bring society together make a just and equal society. But you start, the emphasis is on the right, the civic right of an individual. Whereas, a social democrat starts with the wellness of that society as a way to measure how we think about people's rights, individual rights. Do you understand? So they're coming from two different points. They want to achieve the same goal. Now, that coming from two different points puts you policy-wise in, two, in two different camps. So they oppose one another. But their opposition is even worse. Because she's a member of the Scottish National Party, the very reason why the Scottish National Party was formed was first and foremost one issue. It was, you know, the United Kingdom is a very unique entity. It has four countries, but yet it's one kingdom. And so in certain sporting stuff, you know, they come at the four countries, Wales, Northern Ireland, England, and Scotland. But in some other things, it's the United Kingdom. United Kingdom is four. Great Britain is three. So United Kingdom is Great Britain plus Northern Ireland. Don't, don't ask. Anyway. So the Scottish National Party's existence is for the breakup of the Union, or at least the independence of Scotland from that United Kingdom. That's why they exist. He is a unionist. He wants, he and vehemently wants the Union to stay together. Now, Katie is now currently running for the leadership of the Scottish National Party. There's a leadership contest. So in a recent article that Tim Farron wrote, he says this about her because he's very concerned about her, um, uh, uh, um, uh, she being elected. So this is what he writes. Kate Forbes and I 
are on opposite sides of the political divide. I believe strongly in the union of our four nations. And if I was looking purely at the politics of this issue, I would not want her to win the election. He says, she is the biggest threat to the unity of the United Kingdom. Is he following? Is he, do you think he's on the same side with her? And then he follows with this sentence. But she is also my sister in Christ. And so I am praying for her. Because her views, her views on married, gay married, her views on sexuality, sex outside of marriage, they've all come to the fore and people are attacking her. And he's saying, Kit him now, my person. I know fit live him. They are divided in politics, but there is a greater thing that unites them. Notice what he's not saying. He's not saying, I am now going to be a Scottish nationalist. No. I oppose her views. But I can pray with her and I'm praying for her. Guys, this is, this, isn't this beautiful? That's what God wants to do with us. And I think it's a template for the last thing I want to talk about. How do we take this kind of thinking into our discussion on national unity? National unity for us here as Nigerians and even when we talk to other people. There are two things I just want to point out. The first one is this. Two things that matter. Truth matters. I remember our late president, President Omar Yadwa. In 2011, he won the election. But that election had a lot of irregularities. And I was listening to somebody that I respect to the highest regard. He's, 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 the, he's the bishop of the Catholic Diocese of Sokoto. He's a man called um, Bishop Matthew Kuka. Fantastic man. And Matthew Kuka was recalling that incident. And this is what he said about the election. And I remember this that Yadwa did. Yadwa said, after he'd won, he says, I am holding a tainted prize. And because it's tainted, I will put a mechanism in place to ensure this process is improved. He set up a committee. Matthew Kuka actually was part of that committee, and a committee for electoral reforms. Do you see what Yaradua did? Yaradua said, I'm the winner. He said, I'm holding a tainted prize. He didn't say, I'm dropping the prize. I received the prize. But he said the prize is tainted. And because of that, there's responsibility put upon me as a leader. Now, I am not speaking to the declared winner of this. It's beyond my scope. I can never reach him. He'll never listen to me. But I can speak to us here. And now I want to speak to the people who are pleased with the election. It is not too difficult to say. You see, Yadwa affirmed his win and acknowledged the flaws in the process. Guys, it is not too difficult to say that there were many irregularities in this election. There were many flaws within this election. And for those who, were, who are happy with it, whatever, I'm not saying by that, that means the, the result may have changed. I'm neither saying the re results will have changed or not. Let the courts and the people that are looking into that, let them decide this. But it is very possible to affirm the win of your candidate, and still acknowledge that the process was flawed. Because let me tell you what happens to people who did not support your candidate. When they hear you say stuff like, well, it doesn't really matter, how do you even know, all of those things, it doesn't help for unity because people feel like you are playing fast and loose with the truth to protect the legitimacy of your win. 
Let's not be like one American president that when God, he got elected and they were doing the, um, you know, the inauguration, the person said, sent a spokesman, the spokesman came out and said, we had the largest ever turnout at an inauguration ceremony ever, period. People gave the picture. And he said, you have your facts, we have our facts. You see, the president was too insecure about his win that he had to, he wanted to protect the legitimacy of his win and because of that, he now started dabbling into untruths. And if somebody would say to me, eh, how do you know, how do you know, you can't say, you can't, let me tell you. There were logistical problems in many places. I'm not going to use social media. I'm not going to use um, people I don't know. I'm going to use the experience of people in this church. Just experience of people in this church in three areas. The officials, the system, and the thugs. On officials, some people here, some people here. And listen, if you say it's untrue, that means that we have so many liars here. Okay, maybe. I'm willing to bet that these people didn't lie because some of them, if some of these people happened, it wasn't, most of us here in our voting booths, we had another person to witness, you know. I, we had about four or five people in our, uh, from this church in our, in our voting booth. Officials came late. Officials came late. Around, they came at 12. Some people, when they came like four or five. Some places I know, officials did not turn up. So some people, thuggery, actually, when they wanted to vote, the thugs came and scattered it, so they couldn't vote. Again, I am just talking about witnesses from here. Other people, the thugs intimidated them. Then when you come to the IT system, for some people, a lot of people, but the results were not uploaded immediately as were promised. And for some people, there were discrepancies in the results that were written and discrepancies and the results that were put up there. Guys, guys, we can say this is true and yet not conclude on the result. But if you continue to say, who knows, who knows, who knows, then what you are proving is that you are not really about the improvement of Nigeria as a whole, but in the, in the, in the legitimacy of the person you voted for. Whilst people of the world can do that, we have no right to do that. We are the people that believe in the one who says he's the way, the, the life, and the truth. Because this thing is deep. There's a political commentator who just recently passed away that really helped me in America. He's a man called Mark Shields. He had decades of, like 50 years of experience in, in politics. Mark Shields, uh, Victor, Mark Shields said something I've never forgotten. He was a Christian, a Catholic. He said, he said, voting is the closest thing that a democracy has to a national sacrament. You know what a sacrament is? Like baptism, right, in our, in our religion. Something is sacred. That's what he's saying. He said, when we think, of, not, we're not thinking about church. We're thinking about as a nation, a democracy. He said, voting is a national sacrament. Now, when people come and say, I had thought for four years, I planned my life, everything, so that I, my, my name, my value can count. This sacred event, I'm, I, am, I am actually trying to do it. And they say, these things did not enable my vote to count. And you say, well, who knows? Who knows? Do you know what you are doing? You are that is what we call profanity. 
When you violate something that is sacred, what those thugs did was profane because it was a national sacrament that was violated. Guys, if we are truly about the progress of Nigeria, truth should matter, irrespective of your political affiliation. We are all interested in the improvement of Nigeria. Our different political affiliations means we differ on how to get there. But be careful about the sin of tribalism, where that your political affiliation now matters more than the truth, because it is only the truth that sets us free. In this regard, I have to say some of us have to repent for how we behaved or how we've been behaving. You can tell that person, you say, you know what? I really do believe this person won in this senator, senatorial district, in this whatever, or the president. I believe the person won. But man, it was really, there were lots of irregularities. And I feel bad that you felt you, feel you are going through what you are going through. Let us pray together about what happens in the court and let's see what happens. How do you think that person will think about you? Guys, we can do better. And it leads me to the second thing. Empathy matters. On January 1st, I watched a stage play. It was a musical. Uh, some of us were there too. At um, Terra Culture. By, done by the amazing Bolanli Austin Peters. It was called Motherland. Just a small plug. Our own Deji Aremu was one of the musical, was one of the musical producers on that. And this show, it was different. It was talking about national unity, but it was exploring the complexities of it through a musical. And it, the setting was, it pitted the younger generation against the older generation. And through that play, you could see how we often think differently. The young, in their zeal for wanting to see things better, for them, forget that the old were once young as well. So they start to question the zeal of the older generation. And they accuse them for not doing enough. It was because you people didn't do enough. Look at the mess Nigeria is in. Because whenever there's a problem, everyone looks for an enemy to blame. But on the other hand, the old saw the naivety of the young. And they are sometimes resentful towards them because they didn't feel that they properly, they properly acknowledged their worth. In summary, let me tell you the thing. Both of them were not seeing each other. They were not seeing their pain, neither were they seeing their value. And if we are going to move forward, we need unity across many lines. Ethnic, yes, and all that, but even generationally. We need to come closer together and listen better. Many times when people get into arguments about this, you just throw your own candidate is this, your own candidate is that. You people self, you have no respect. You people self, you are too lazy. You people don't even care. You people is for national interest. We just keep throwing things on each other. Rather than sit down and listen, and listen to our values and listen to our pain. We sit down together. Maybe we can ask questions like this. But maybe maybe we, we can listen to people talk and say things like this. What does it mean to live my life? Do you know what happened to my parents? What does it mean to be a minority in this country? 
What does it mean to have all this zeal and not get a job? What does it mean to have these qualifications and not get a job? What does it mean to consistently advise, uh, offer advice to people who, who don't yield and then eventually their lives end up in a disaster? We're going to move on in national unity. We can do better in empathy, filling each other's shoes. Because no one generation matters than the other. The great Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He says this, and it's only something you and I can really do as Christians. He says, only love gets close enough to know. We can get closer to each other. Let's bridge the proximity gap, not just space-wise, but in our hearts. You see, proximity is what makes us weep at a tragic situation. Distance is what makes us nod and scroll to the next video. Proximity. Guys, if we can live more Christ-like, as Paul says in Romans 15, 1 to 3, our nation can heal. He says this in Romans 15, 1 to 3, we who are strong, we who are strong, or we who want, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse 2, it says, each of us, each, don't look to the other person, each of us, you, 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 each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Verse 3. And then it says, for even Christ did not please himself. So those are the things. But let me close with this. Some people would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm angry with God. God, I'm angry with you. And what's beneath that is this. You are saying, God, do you care? Do you care at all? Do you care about justice? Because that's what we've been denied. And we've been denied for a long time. And if you are that kind of person, can I appeal to you? Don't be, I, what you are going through really does matter. But please, don't, rather than becoming a prisoner of the moment, lift your eyes to the transcendent. What do I mean by that? God is truly a God of justice. In the Bible, from the past to the future, it shows that God cares so much about justice that he's bent all of history towards justice. You remember the kingdom I spoke about that has already started? Do you know how it ends in Jeremiah 23, uh, Jeremiah 23 verse 5 to 6? This is how everything ends. If you think that you don't get the ruler or the president or the representative that you want that actually will do things justly and wisely, he says, don't worry. He says, don't worry. Why? The days are coming. It's just a timing issue. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and say it together. Verse 6. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. You know, there was a man whose whose life was really all about justice. From his 20s, about public justice. He preached about justice. He organized about justice. He sacrificed so much money, everything, time about justice. He lost his life before the age of 40 because of justice. By the time they looked at his heart, they said, this man's heart was not the heart of a 30-something-year-old. It was the heart of a 60-something-year-old because he worked for justice. He didn't see the justice in his land that he wanted. 
But he had the faith to work for justice in the present. You know why? He lived by a quote that says this. He believed in Jeremiah 23, verse 6, 5 and 6. He says, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it always bends towards what? God is bending history towards justice. So you say again, no, but okay, that's so abstract. Does God care for me? I don't have the luxury of waiting for things to be better. Does God care about me? He does. Again, I say, don't just look at what, don't be a prisoner of the moment. Lift your eyes to the transcendent. God cares so much for you and your eternal well-being. Remember we said truth matters? He sent someone called the truth. Remember we said empathy matters. God became a human being. He came to earth because of you. He became a human being because of you. He humiliated himself because of you. He shed his blood because of you. Does God care? Blood says that he cares. Our voting matters. But what is voting ultimately? Yeah, it's a sacrament. But it's a sacrament that says this, at least in the context of Nigeria. It's a sacrament that says the labor of our heroes past to secure the voice of the people regarding their immediate destiny matters. That's what voting says. But the thing that you see before you here, this communion, this bread and wine, is a sacrament that says the labor of our hero Christ to secure the voice of God regarding our eternal destiny, that matters. Does God care? Yes. Your voting matters, but the communion matters more. And in the day of when Christ comes, you and I, irrespective of our political differences, we will sit on the table of fellowship together and saying, God alone is worthy. God alone is worthy. He is the God of justice. He is the God that cares. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City Church Lagos. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.